Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Double or Nothing podcast, hosted by myself, Clark Cummings, alongside my partner, Alex Russian, in collaboration with DraftKings. DraftKings, the best place to play daily fantasy, fantasy sports for cash prizes. Today is November 12th. Tennis is starting to wrap up their 2020 season, and we're heading into college tennis here in the next few months. I think so far the ATP and WTA have done a good job so far with the mani- managing the pandemic and continuing to put together some successful events in the NITO ATP Finals. I think starts Sunday, Sunday morning. But hats off to them because other sports like college football and college basketball are having some struggles, some big-time struggles actually, with postponing games. I think there was 12 to 12 to 15 games this weekend uh, canceled, but we'll see what happens in the upcoming weeks. It just looks like some uh, some student athletes had a little bit too much fun over Halloween weekend, but Alex and I today have a very special guest, uh, actually our third guest in the Double or Nothing podcast, and I think this guy is by far uh, most suited for the conversations we have uh, on, a, on a daily basis. Um, so let's get into his accolades. Our guest today, at one point, was the number one ranked junior coming out of high school. He put together 130 wins over his time at Wake Forest, won the program's first national title with doubles championship win at the ITA Indoor National National Indoor with Corey Parr, and uh, they defeated two. I think both of these guys are still playing. Robert Farrar and obviously Steve Johnson is playing, but I don't know if Farrar is still playing. He was a top doubles player. Um, I think Alex, do you think he's, he's still, still playing? playing? No, he's, he's still, still playing. playing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's nasty, bro. Three-time All-American, Wake Forest Male Athlete of the Year in 2010, now a professional poker player and working in the digital marketing field in California. Mr. Stephen Foreman, pleasure to have you on today. First thing I have to ask is, what led you to Wake Forest from, from California? Hey, thanks for having me. And um, it's a long way from California, so my sister... Uh, older sister Jen Foreman went to Wake, and I was pretty comfortable with uh, the campus and the school. I went to visit her a bunch um, when she was over there. She was two years older than me, and then I noticed that her tennis team got um, was starting to get pretty strong. At first, I wasn't even looking at them because um, I didn't know too much about them besides my sister went there. And then, yeah, Corey Parr um, was going there, and I knew him from juniors. And then I saw the team that they had with uh, – Todd Paul, and um, this is a really emerging program, which you uh, definitely see now. They're like uh, national championship winners and contenders every year, but uh, I definitely saw the rise back then, and it's a really good academic school, so I was uh, really happy with, with going there. Probably probably a pretty good choice. You had a good career 
So my, my two cents to begin. Yeah. Um, super glad to have you Steve for sure on the pod. Um, this is our third guest, but I would argue maybe the best guest uh, possible for this show, meshing the two uh, topics that we like talking about the most, which are sports and gambling because of our partnership with DraftKings. And, uh, you know, Steve obviously has many accolades as a tennis player. He was a, a great player and uh, has gone on to become a great a great gambler. He's also he's also from San Diego, just like me. I've known him since uh, since I was a little kid. And uh, we actually went to the same high school, even though maybe like 10 years apart, but we we both did. And so uh, so, yeah, just excited to have you on for sure. And uh, I just want to know, too, like before you went to Wake Forest, how is that like, uh, you know, just like tennis culture in San Diego? Like what, what was your experience at TP and all of that as well? Yeah, at Torrey Pines, we had like the pretty much the best team in the country. Um, a lot of really good players and good tennis tradition. Um, Eric Riley was on my team. He was a top player. Um, he went to University of Virginia, but he uh, he won Orange Bowl doubles. Um, growing up, we had the same coach. Uh, Tongo Yu was another good player. Uh, went to Cornell. Um, and we had uh, DJ Johnson was on my team. Um, just a bunch of other really strong players. And we won CIF a bunch. Um, what what did you guys win? Did you win States? Yeah, we won um, CIF and then uh, States. And then we won, um, they had like the first national like high school tournament back then. Yeah. Which was like just an emerging thing. And it happened um, like in Newport Beach. I think it'd be like Harbor West Lake, if I remember correctly. That's that's funny. That's one thing that I want to talk about, like for a second. Just me and Jacob Brum, who plays for Cal, uh, we went to Torrey Pines at the same time, and uh, we were on the tennis team also. And we had a super strong team, and we always like have debates, like who would win between our team and Steve's team. And even before us, you had like Calman uh, Boyd, who's good, uh, went to SC, and then. Um, you know the the school in Florida, um, what UCF? Sorry, and they had they had some strong guys. But uh, me and Jacob, our team, we won we won CIF a few times. We won states and we won nationals, just like kind of like they did. But it'd be an interesting an interesting stack up. I think we had like Jacob to Cal, me to Auburn, this kid to Air Force. Then we had two kids to State. Um, we had another kid that was going to UCSD. Like, it was just like a, we were stacked for a high school team. I think there was college teams that we could have beat. But testament to, like, kind of like the environment that we grew up in where just, like, from the get-go, we were, like, at a very big, like, type of sports school. Even though it's still, like, high school tennis and it doesn't really mean anything to, like, serious tennis players, it's still, like, just the culture, I feel like, was definitely, like, a good preparation for college. I think yeah. California, I mean, is the best place for high school tennis. Yeah, it looks like. Yeah, no. Um, we fucked up Harvard Westlake too. Yeah, it was kind of weird because high school tennis, yeah, it's not super competitive if you're a top level like junior, but they're able to accommodate like my schedule and there's also yeah. still some good matches out there. So there's a like in states you'd play like a dude that was like let's say you played Harvard Westlake, the guy you might be playing might be going to like a good school like if you're playing like one or two or something like that. Yeah, definitely. And it was a good experience. Like those guys all teach you like. I don't know, so much stuff like when you're a freshman and you never have to go to practice you know, like, senior guys yeah you do your own thing yeah definitely and the coach there like uh and megs i don't know if she was your coach but no i had i had john delil and then i had yimmers yeah, yeah, shout out to robert yim he's one of steve's best friends he's our dog uh he won kalamazoo great player as well um we'll, we'll probably have him on at some point too but they're uh, able to accommodate yeah like our personal training schedule and then you know have you played some of the uh, tougher teams that they need you for, but you're not showing up for like 
bat matches and stuff like that. So, how many of your sister's friends did you get with when you visited when you visited Wake Forest, and did that impact your decision to commit there? Shit, I hope she's not listening. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely had a good time uh, when I went there, and um, you know, I, I guess the girl like I dated for like most of college was in her sorority, so. Uh, oh, did you have yeah. a you had a girlfriend most of college? Uh, like the last like two two years, like I was with the same same girl. What a what a waste of being an all American, Clark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't can't all be like Russian here. <laughs> not everyone's like you, Alex. Not everyone's I a big not. time player. I don't know. What so, Stephen? What was your um? How was kind of your college tennis experience, and what? was um well who was your coach first uh my coach was jeff zinn and then we had a few different crazy uh, mother assistants. that guy is a crazy guy okay. yeah i have his last yeah. name in my upper lip as we speak by the way continue <laughs> yeah that's uh yeah he's definitely a character zinner and um you know definitely some good zinn stories but i don't know if i can tell him on air <laughs> Alex, Alex, this guy. So, uh, I mean, Steve and I actually talked about before we went on air was uh, my dad was the tennis coach at Old Dominion for 19 years. And I remember to this day, uh, this Jeff Zinn, you know, uh, just a crazy, intense dude. And I mean, he had some great players and he obviously had you, but Corey and, and Todd were kind of the two players that stood out to me at a young age. You know, I guess I was 10, 12, 13 watching watching uh, Wake Forest, Old Dominion battle it out. And um, Wake Forest beat Old Dominion. I think it was 6-1 inside, but Todd Paul was top five in the country. And Old Dominion had a player that was kind of trying to get into the uh, NCAAs. He was probably 20, but, you know, it, I mean, it, it's a battle to get in the NCAAs. It's, it's not easy to get in the NCAA tournament. And uh, I think Todd just crushed him, and, you know, the guy was pretty, pretty pissed off. But um, Jeff, the guy is just – all over the place, jumping from court to court, you know, big guy. He looks like Dana White. He reminds me of, like, you know, Dana White. He's just this big guy that, you know, will will fight anyone, basically. He was just so intense. And that was kind of like seeing him and my dad and other guys um, in college tennis, that kind of motivated me to play college tennis. You know, you see the environment, and it's so hard to – you get sucked into it and seeing the passion. And those Wake Forest teams with him uh, – they definitely carried his, his motto of being intense and passionate and definitely uh, he had some very good programs, but it looks like Tony Breskin yeah, definitely. Uh, took, it up, took it up a notch. Yeah, no, their team's killing it right now, and uh, so, I'm so happy to see it. And, um, you know, Tony's really killing it. And, and Zinner, yeah, he was a character, but we, uh, we butt heads sometimes, but we also had a lot of good times too. And just, like, he'll – He's one of those guys that will like let you know exactly what he thinks. Like you said, like someone's car rides back, like they were just they were intense, like good or bad, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm just really happy to see like how well they're doing. I, I went back and watched them uh, in Orlando last year, and they weren't able to bring it home um, off to Texas, but uh, it was a good match. And like I think them them getting uh, like Tony's doing a great job and getting those pro tournaments there with Winston Salem Open, like you know it's. It's unbelievable what they're doing, and I'm jealous that the tournament wasn't there when I was there. But uh, I feel horrible for them, you know, winning it and then finaling. Like, yeah. I feel really, really bad for Wake yeah. right now. What? Um, me and me and Clark are both like pretty big. Like, um, we always uh, we always really 
do give big ups to college tennis and we're like think it's like a great pathway and something that uh, enables people not only to just grow on the tennis court and everything like that and get that experience of being on a team, but just like socially to develop as like a person and stuff like on and kind of off court. Like, what would you say, like, aside from just like accolades and you can even say them like, but what are your biggest like memories, like takeaways that you'll hold with you forever? Like from from those times, because I think that like, you know, Bobby would always say this at Auburn, like the wins and losses, they do come and they happen. And if you have some really great results, you know, you remember that. But the biggest things are like, you know, what you remember is like the in the car rides, like tra traveling with the yeah. team, the, the, all that kind of stuff. Like what what do you feel like just your even on on and off court? What were your like, you know, biggest takeaways from it? Just like with college tennis. Like it's so great, like the camaraderie, the camaraderie part, like just really sticking together. Like some of those battles were like, there's just so many to even like think about, like just pulling one out that's like special is, is even tough. But like when, when it comes down to like the last quarter, it's like three all. I mean, I even re-experienced this with Alex like pretty recently because I did take a job at Georgia's, um, Georgia State um, a few years ago and it came down to the three all in our match when we played against Auburn. But uh, being on the team like there and just cheering, um, like cheering your teammate through and like getting through and like just having their back or them having your back. Like win or lose, like you're never, like you want them to win and bring it home so bad, but you're never gonna like, you know, really turn on them and just like, you're always gonna have their back like at the end of the day and like they always have your back. Yeah, and I think that was, for me, that's my favorite part about college tennis is just playing like, when you play a tournament, you're alone, you're by yourself. There's like a few people in the crowd, whatever, like even at the future or something like that. But like in college, like the environment is way better. There's fans, it gets a little rowdy, there's sharing. But also my favorite part was just six courts lined up and you're going to battle and the guy to the right of you and the guy to the left of you is feeling the same way you are and going through that exact same thing. And it's almost like, I mean, this is tennis. It's not, you know, war or something that serious, but it's almost like kind of like being in war and being on the front lines with your boys and that that kind of thing is to me is very special yeah definitely just feeding off the energy was like the biggest thing for me like i love i love like game day just like firing up for game day and then being out there and like you know like you're you're pulling the guy on the course next to you like through their matches they're pulling you through yours like you're still you're still like focused in the zone on your match too at the same time it's like yeah a weird yeah. like sensation to describe i guess but like even these days like like in poker, like I know we haven't really talked about it yet, but like you don't really get that like in your, like in tennis, in junior tournaments or like your day-to-day -day poker stuff. Like the closest thing I guess is if you like final table a World Series event or your friend does like, or some big final table, some people will get behind you. But like having that in day in day out basis and then like practice, like sometimes, you know, it's hard to get up for practice and um, but your teammates get you there, your coaches get you there and like you guys just all improve together. Shows what you can do. I think, like, speaking about junior tennis, you know, tennis prides itself on individuality. And, you know, jumping to college tennis, you have, you know, you could have six guys playing singles, and you could have, you know, nine, ten guys playing, you know, the overall match. But, you know, just people around the, the environment. And, you know, to this day, I can, I mean, I'm going to jump back into the college tennis circle here in the spring. But, um, to this day, I can still remember like my favorite matches and you know those last few points and seeing the crowd, seeing the energy, seeing the people next to you just get so pumped up because it's almost like a you know it's a war. It's two teams against each other, and whoever wants it more, if it's competitive, is usually going to bring it home. But you know the fans and 
just you know playing on the court and knowing trying to know what what's going on around you and being self-aware uh, is the greatest thing about college tennis because if you if you want to win you know bad and you're gonna fight and compete usually those guys are uh, the ones that succeed but you know man college tennis we, we talk about how special it is but you really don't know you really can't feel how special it is unless you're there and playing you know you can describe it to a high school kid but you got to be in your, yeah, you, know, you can't be in our shoes you got to be in your own shoes and you got to yeah i think energy is the biggest aspect to me and not even just like in matches like it's in everything in practice stuff like that like let's just give i'll just give a most recent example like this morning i was super super tired we had weights at like 6 30 in the morning and uh just being around the eight guys like 10 like five minutes before i could barely keep my eyes open and then as soon as it starts we're just feeding off of that energy and it's like i just had like three red bulls you know like that's that's the difference between being on a team and being, um, you know, just playing for yourself. You talked about like game day and stuff like that, and I want to like get into this a little bit later to see if you have like any rituals for poker too. But like, did you have like game day rituals when you were playing? No, I mean more superstitions or just like the way you prepare for a match and shit. No, we just have like pretty standard warm up. Mm. Well, you personally, like, would you eat the fucking like oatmeal or something? Like, what was your like? Did you have any? like that or not really not really like i was pretty i don't know that was like maybe like the, the knock on me a little bit is like people people thought like i didn't really like give a shit about preparation which like, it's not true like i just like game day like i just really felt like really comfortable like that's where i, I thrived and like i didn't need like some of these people that need like i don't know like really structured like warm-ups like i just hit till i felt rhythm basically like and i know it's like it sounds casual but like i just hit till i felt rhythm like stay loose like in my head, like, I always win the game day, like, thinking I was going to win. Like, it didn't matter. Like, I don't know if you remember Samdad Devarman. Like, I played him. He was, like, undefeated that year. Like, it was, like, senior day in, like, Virginia. Like, at his home crowd. Like, I thought I was going to win. Like, there's no, like, doubt in my mind when I won the court, I was going to win. And, like, I know you guys, like, um, did you win? No, I lost. But, like, every single every single This guy was do, like, dirty, matter. Alex. Just... No, he was very dirty. And that's the thing. Like, people can say whatever they want to say, but you can't argue with, like, the results that's the thing you can be like yeah. oh this guy maybe didn't stretch enough maybe this guy didn't can put his water bottle in the same place every single changeover but like if he's getting w's that's that's all that matters in the at the end of the day and that's just kind of like life uh you know results talk money talks everything like that um just with those kind of matches and everything like that though like i think that there's like I mean, it's all mindset. If you go into a match um, not being sure if you're going to win the match or stuff, something like that, in my opinion, I feel like you've already kind of kind of lost in a sense. And would you say that that translates a little bit to poker in your mindset? Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, you always go down there, like, thinking – you always have, like, some type of strategy, like, when you're sitting down at different games. And, like, if you play local games, you kind of know, like, who you're playing against. Like, where I, where I play, like, locally, like, kind of the day game's a little bit tighter – and then the second game that gets going for the PLO I play is like a little bit generally looser. So like you're gonna use two different strategies against those different players. But um, yeah, I mean, you always have to go in like with that mentality. I guess a little bit with poker, it's different because like you really, that's like what I learned on that is like, I'm not like the best in the world in poker. Like, and you have to put your ego, like there are better players than you. Like, and you really have to select like your games. Like you. If you just want to go in and play like Somdev every day, like I would in tennis, because that's how I was, that's how I was wired. Like I want to play the best players in tennis. But if you just go like that and you play the best players every day in poker, like 
it's just not like your best use of time. Like you rather find like weaker games. So it's a little bit different mentality, but like just it's the same concept. Like you want to go into games like where you know you're gonna be able to win and like have an edge in. So like yes and no, if that makes sense. No, do you yeah, find it, do you find mm-hmm. that there's more strategy in do you find more strategy in poker or in, in tennis? I think they both like have their I think they're both like very similar. Obviously like one's not a physical like poker's not a physical game at all, but it's like you know, in, in tennis it's like you're playing your strengths to like their weakness in like a perfect world. And in, in like in poker, like you're finding out where people are misplaying their hands and like exploiting those same things. Like if someone like just calls too much, like then you're gonna be like just taking advantage of that. You're not gonna be bluffing them as much, but you're gonna be getting more value out of your hands like when you have bigger hands because they're going to call you like on three streets with a weaker hand so it's like the same it's like really knowing your opponent like and then just making making adjustments like tennis same thing like you lose a first set like six one like you don't go play the second set the same way like you're going to make an adjustment if you're a smart guy and like i take that same approach to poker like and try and learn like when i make the mistakes me and Clark talk about like, um, you know, we obviously talk about gambling a lot, uh, specifically sports gambling, and uh, the way it also pertains to like where where it's lacking and stuff like that. And we were talking about like, okay, because there's certain college sports you can bet on and certain college sports you yeah. can't bet on. Obviously, football, basketball, those type of things, you know, they are stuff everybody is betting on. But like tennis, you can't bet on. But then you can go and bet on volleyball. If you can, like, those are both non-revenue sports. If you can bet on volleyball, you should be able to bet on tennis. I think college tennis would be so fun to bet on because of the way people could, like, you know, imagine just, like, with basketball for the NCAA tournament, like, have a bracket and shit like that. That could be kind of crazy. No, definitely. Um, Yeah, I don't know too much about that. I don't really uh, bet sports that much. Um, But it seems like... I mean, I guess this like argument doesn't work because of the volleyball. Like, but it seems like bookmakers like want to, or like sports sites, they want to have, they want to have like lines for games that they know about. So like maybe they don't like know about tennis. So it leaves like vulnerability to them. Like, for example, like you might know a lot more about like a correct line for like your team versus another team than most sports makers, more, uh, more sports books would. So yeah, like, like the bigger the event, the sharper the line should be in theory, I think. Like, the I feel Super like, Bowl is going to be, like, a pretty sharp line because all yeah. the information is out there versus, like, two random tennis teams playing each other. Like, how are they going to how are they gonna put a line on that? And, and, Alex, and that's this is how I'm going to do it. Your dad, yeah, bro, UTR yeah. would be a great UTR, uh, starting UTR point for people to create could, those lines. Yeah, no, and UTR is a, I think, a tool that maybe, I don't know, I'm not, like, a, you know, an expert gambler. I'm just a kind of the kid out of college that wants to make some more money or lose some more money gambling and have some fun wagering on games. But, you know, the Vegas people and you know, the people higher up, I wonder if they've used – do they like, oh, UTR is an effect. Hey, this helps mine, stuff like that. But from what I've heard from talking to, you know, some, some bookies in New York and, you know, just bar talk is that, hey, you know, not many of these bookies know anything with this – you know, futures and challengers, and that's why some people like like to exploit it. You know, like a future in Mexico where the number ten guy at Auburn is playing. You know, the number twelve guy at Florida State. You know, some random you know bush league match futures in Mexico for you know just some random match. So I think that's where um, people really try to you know like 
lock in. So, I mean, I would love for there to be a college tennis sports book. I think that'd be so cool to gamble on college tennis, but I do realize why it's only college basketball and college football because those lines are stricter. There's more people up to date, knowledgeable about what's going on. If how many people in the world, I mean, this, this sucks to say this, but how many uh, people are know what the score might be between uh, UVA and Wake Forest other than like well, avid, avid college, college fans, college tennis fans. It's a couple things though. So like the argument uh, could be made that the reason that there's not a book or something like that for, um, you know, for college tennis is because maybe that there's not enough interest in it. But the counter argument to that is, you know, there's a lot of degenerates out there that are betting on women's like ping pong in Thailand. So yeah, I think there would definitely be people betting on it and like taking that's why we're like big, you know, advocates of this is um, and, and the futures and stuff like that, where we say, you know, you can really make a lot of money betting on tennis because you can take advantage of that. You gave that Auburn whatever example versus a Florida State guy. How about dude that's like from whatever he's a good college player or something like that but maybe he doesn't have points yet but the guy can like he can ball you know what i mean but since he doesn't have any pro status or anything like that he could be playing a random dude like think about a future in egypt you know you could just be playing the dude that like has never played a future before that just got a local wild card and uh you know that's the one you got to hammer because a guy that knows tennis like to a guy that doesn't know tennis these are just two unknowns they both don't have points but to a guy that knows tennis, you could see, all right, this dude sucks and this dude can play and, you know, you take advantage of it. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Um, we've touched on it already a little bit. Um, and we've talked about poker to to an extent, but we'll get in there more. But before we get there, I want to I kind of want to talk about like just your gambling journey, like when you started playing poker, when you started getting interested in it, how, uh, you know, because obviously while you were in college, you couldn't be uh, gambling too much uh, or at all. I don't even know if, what the rule is if you're allowed to gamble like and play poker in casinos and stuff like that. But sports betting is obviously not allowed. But like. How, how was that? Like, when did you, in high school, when did you start getting into gambling or getting into poker? And, and how did that start evolving to when, once you left college and stuff, you started, you know, maybe considering it as like a, a career? Yeah. So, um, some of the guys that I played on the high school tennis team with, like, they had like a poker night. And, like, I just went like one after a tournament. And Who taught you how to play? Um, when, was actually, when well, did you learn? No one taught me. Like, I just, like literally showed up with like my allowance money and like I was like a five dollar in high school tiny game in high school yeah my friend uh Jesse uh Steinberg who I'm actually close with right now um and he's my business partner in um like a little e-commerce venture we're doing but uh he he was uh playing a little bit like he learned from his dad who plays like recreationally and just like invited me and just kind of wanted to fit in and um like you know play with like some of the guys that are older on the tennis team so I went and I played like, and I just remember like, not really knowing what the hell I was doing, but like having fun and like I got lucky and just won. And um, this other guy on my team, um, Dane, Dane Lomas, who I'm also still really close with, um, at the time like, so at the time like, when I was in high school, 
basically Chris Moneymaker won like the World Series of Poker and there was like a big poker boom like and all these like online poker sites were like were operating like I don't, I don't know if I would say like they were operating legally but they were operating like fully in the United States um, they were like offshore I believe it was but, huge um, it was huge like they would have like party poker commercials like full tilt commercials poker stars commercials on TV they would have like sponsored pros and stuff like that so uh, the kid Dan on my team was a affiliate for Party Poker, like one of the biggest affiliates. And basically, like, you get like fifty free dollars in your account if you signed up through his uh, through a site. It's like fifty of those per day, like fifty accounts, new accounts per day got fifty dollars for free. So like, every day at like noon or whatever, like you would you like try and make, be like one of the first fifty to sign up. So supposed to be like new accounts only, but like everyone would just go like make a new account every single day with like. Basically, uh, there's like loopholes, obviously. You made like a different screen name and you would just get 50 bucks in there. And then I would just like lose it basically for like yeah. the first while. But but uh, it was like free money. So I also like, remember too, like with the online poker shit, like when you were playing that a lot and stuff, like you would be playing like a bunch of games at the same time. A bunch of games, yeah, at the same time. But like, dude, I just lost like every time basically but it was like it was like it did not cost me anything but yeah like i mean i had like basic tiny money that like i would be able to like put on like or even like pay cash to a friend to transfer to you like it was just started like really small like you pay like jesse like ten dollars to transfer you to your poker stars account if you like ran out were you not from, like, making that much money on uh like were I, you not winning i feel like you were winning some no, like, a when good first, amount when i first started poker. when i first started in high school like zero like i was just losing and then we would play like at tournaments to like kill time like it'd be like like rain delays or you're like at clay courts like we would play like just fun games like um it was just like really big like everyone was playing and actually did like okay there but like i didn't really do like well at all like until college like i you were able to play like online poker in college and like i do i like semi regret it because like it's it's a distraction like i'm sure i would have had a better gpa like and maybe even like had like i did have pro aspirations for tennis so like maybe wish i could have like waited a little bit but just i did play like when I was there and I was like a bit like almost like reckless a little bit, but like with, with the money, but like on when I play online, but that allowed me to like run up a bankroll. So like when you, when you play like poker professionally, you want to like manage your bankroll really well, but I just got lucky basically in the beginning and ran up. I don't like a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just saying I played higher stakes than I should have with the amount of money I had. Like, yeah. That's, that's the recklessness I mean is like, if you should be playing like $1, $2 with your bankroll and you're playing like five ten, like you have a high chance of ruining your bankroll. But like I was able to go on a good run and like I just kept improving. There was training sites. There was like forums you could read. And I, I put my time into like learning. And obviously the more hands you play, the better you get. So like by the time I was a junior in college, like I had already made like pretty substantial money playing online. I don't think you also like you can say, you know, uh, Maybe maybe I shouldn't have been starting that earlier. Maybe I wish I hadn't. But you don't really get to choose when you get the bug. Um, and so once you once you started playing, once you finished college and stuff like that, um, and you were and you were playing a lot more regularly and stuff like, at that point, kind of what amounts were you were you playing for on the online side? Yeah. So I played like I eventually got to like really high stakes online, which I guess what I was saying is like I crashed and burned like through the first little bit. Like with allowance, like allowance money and like little like basically um, like promo money that I got from like the site and then event, like crash and burn in order to learn like if that makes sense like when you go play tennis tournaments like when you're younger like you might lose it for the first two years 
trying not to be a pusher. Like, and then you, you get know, better. When you're you in the, just get yeah. better. You so improve. So when you're in the 10s, like, if I have a student in the 10 and unders, I'm going to say, like, go play your game. Don't push because it's going to be better in the end. Like, so, yeah, for like the first two years, they might crash and burn the tournament to get better. But then they're going to improve. So it was, like, kind of the same thing. And I ran up, like, over to over 100K, like, where I had, like, by the time I was, like, 21. And I was um, – when I come back – like senior year, I went to college a little bit early. So um, I started going to like this place called Palomar Car Club. which is like a local car room in um, San Diego. And I was like underage at the time, but um, I was already playing like basically the games with like the owner and they never like, I don't know, it was, it was like a small car room. Like no one ever really asked me for ID. And um, like one day, like this was like winter break, but I, I won like one of the biggest pots of my life to this date. And if you cash out like over uh, ten thousand, like you have to show ID. So like I, I like texting my friend like like what the hell do I do with like all these chips? Did and, you not have a fake? No, I didn't have a fake. And Are you, like, serious? I mean, you have to fill out a form if you hit over ten thousand anyway. So like I colored up my chips to like the biggest chips they had. They had like five k chips. So because you can't you can't just like leave with hundred dollar chips. Like yeah, if you have like big like it was like a five figure day. So I took like the bigger chips and then when I came back for like spring break or summer or whatever like I and I was 21 again like then I just used those to buy in because I kept playing there anyways but um would you say you just kind of like also just like talk about just like what what appealed to you about it like what what got you hooked what made you enjoy it so much about the game I mean in the beginning just like the competitive nature of it like it's the same thing with tennis like you're they're both like strategy games competitiveness and then when I saw I was able to do well with it like then I don't know, like, I had, like, way more money than I should have had at that age, basically, like, because, yeah, of course. I mean, I mean these prize pools are insane, like you, you could play, like, I mean, in those days, you could play, like, a $215 tournament, and, like, the first place would be, like, a few hundred thousand dollars, like, it was just, like, the prize pool, the, like, the entries were that big, like, it was just insane how much money was on those sites, and, like, I don't know. What did you study in college? Um, I was a sociology uh, major. Oh, shout so, out! Same here. Same here. That's a good. That's a good tennis player major for that's all you like to do, uh, nothing, yeah. kids out there who are thinking about what you should study in college. If you want to be like, you know, if you want to be able to like do tennis and maybe have a little bit of fun on the side, sociology might might be a good uh, option for you. So you graduate, and then uh, did you get into the workforce kind of right away? Like. Because I knew you had a, some jobs along the course of your life in this these last whatever like nine years since college and stuff like that like some insurance shit and everything like that. But so when you graduate college, do you did you go start working and you're still playing poker on the side? And then when did like it become when did online poker fade and stopping a thing? And when did you start like you know moving from all right normal job to yeah I'm a professional gambler. Okay, so like. Basically, after college, like, I didn't really have, like, I don't know, like, what, the whole thing is, like, kind of, like, not, like, a blur, but, like, it just doesn't make sense, like, looking from, like, a mature standpoint back. I didn't have, like, a real plan. Even when I picked my major, like, I always just kind of assumed that I was going to go play tennis afterwards, like, so when they, when they like, asked what your major is going to be, like, sophomore year, I was, like, I didn't really, like, have, I don't know, I guess some people go to, like, college knowing, like, hey, I'm going to go be a doctor, like, hey, I'm going to go be this, like, I just went, like, and I think, like, that's something that you should figure out, like, before you go to college. But, like, wasn't mature It's hard, enough. though. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. But, like, yeah. But, like, I guess, like, a lot of people then started graduating, like, looking for jobs. And, like, I didn't know, like, really what my path was going to be. I kind of, like, waited around 
to see, not waited around, but like when I finished, I finished like 27 or whatever in college. I just missed a college team. I'm not sure if you're like aware, but like at the time they took like the top six Americans out of the rankings and they put them into like a bunch of futures over summer and stuff like that. I just missed that by a hair. And my parents were like, are you gonna go play or not? And I was just like, you know, let's see. Like, I, like which is like a stupid answer that you should know whether you're gonna play or not. Did you and, play some after? No, I did not play after and I do like wish I did play. Did you play futures in college? I played a few futures in, in college. How'd yeah. you do in, in futures and stuff? Uh, not so. I didn't do well in singles. I lost like first round, uh, first round in singles. But I won. I played like Joplin, and then I played the Godfrey futures. Which, no offense to those cities, they're probably like the yeah yeah middle, kind of middle of nowhere. Shitty, I played. Yeah, I played Decatur and like stuff shitty. like that. Yeah, that was my image of uh, right, right away. But uh, we won. We Corey and I won uh, the Joplin doubles future, um, our first one, and then. I think we lost like the finals or semis in the next one. We actually, um, I was supposed to qual do qualifying for Godfrey, and I missed it because we were in the finals of the doubles, which was fine. But, um, anyways, like I, I talked to Alex a little bit about this at a uh, dinner, but like at the time, I was like kind of just ready to like move on a little bit. Like, I mean, I was like kind of thinking about playing, but I was like, you know, I have some money, I've like sacrificed all this, all this shit, like during my junior, junior career and like college, like there's like all these sacrifices you make, like weekends away like social sacrifices etc like you're traveling all the time i just wanted to come back san diego like be normal like i had you know like pretty serious girlfriend at the time like just had some money like i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do so i came back the reason i was playing mostly online like when i was in north carolina was because there was no casinos there but i came back here and there was really good games going uh at the palomar club that i mentioned so i guess like a little, little drippy uh card room but it was insane, like the stakes they played there and like some of the games they had. And San Diego has a lot of wealthy people. So like you were able to play with like a lot of uh, like wealthy businessmen that just wanted to play for fun. Like that, like, is, I mean, that's what you, that's what you want when you're playing like full time. You want to be playing like. What age were you when you were like, I'm, I'm really like really good at this. And also when you just kind of went full time. Um, Like 20, 21, like when I was, I mean, when I started like, I played like mostly on the small side. It's called like cake poker, and it was good. It was good for me because the games only went like so high. Because at the time, I told you I was like my money management aspect and like my emotional aspect there was like was poor compared to what it is now. And like, but um, I was able to like really build up there, and that's when I was like there's real money to be made. And then obviously there was like full tilt and other sites where like they had like bigger tournaments and bigger games. That I would take, I would, like I would play tournaments on those, but. Um, yeah, like 2021 and like it became hard to like travel for i guess like you think you're gonna be a journeyman and like travel to new york and win a future for like a thousand bucks like just i don't know compared to like tournaments it seemed like kind of tough at the time but i do wish i like saw how far i went but I mean, like, you were um, you were yeah go ahead clark but the biggest i mean the biggest thing i see with like futures and challengers and then like you deciding to become a professional gambler is Alex and I have had this discussion multiple times uh, over the last few months, and I've actually written a few articles about it. There's not much money being made in the future challenger. You're just chasing, like, hey, you're going to compete and playing tennis, you know, and uh, playing for, like, an hour or two a day in the practice and kind of the grind of doing that. You know, being a professional uh, gambler, and like with poker, I mean, you could do that for multiple hours a day can make more money so why not kind of go the route of uh being a 
professional gambler because you're going to make more money. And then, like for tennis, you're just going to, even if you play that match and lose, you, you're going to, you got to go travel and stuff like that. So there's more expenses, I feel like, um, when traveling and playing uh, futures and challengers. And, you know, I think no one really makes money in professional tennis. Only like the top hundred and maybe ten do. So, I uh, I understand the route. I mean, no shit. Why wouldn't you become a professional gambler when there's more money to be made there? Yeah, that that was the mentality I had at the time, and like my only like counter to that is like it just sometimes like tennis feels like a incompleted journey to me. Like yeah, it's like this is your dream as like a kid, and then you work your ass off the whole way, and then like you go to college and you play, and then like, you have one shot. Like, there was, like, some times where I thought about, like, coming back or whatever. But, like, you only have, like, a small window here. And, like, people ask me, like, why don't you play, like, commonly or, like, I don't know. And, like, I don't really have a good answer for them. Like, I like I had the means to do it. And, like, and I guess, like, yeah, like, looking back, like, it's, like, nice. Like, to it'd be nice to know, like, how far I could have been. Because we could debate this to the moon. Like, I could tell someone, like, you know, I think I could have been like 200 in the world in singles or like, but maybe I could have been like 50 in the world. Maybe I could have been only like 500, like, but to just yeah. like, to just test yourself, like is something that like looking back, I wish I would have potentially done. And then also like, I was talking to Alex about this, but I think like just doubles, like Robert Farah, the, we we're talking about, like I played him. So I beat him and Steve Johnson in the national tournament. And then he also has a win over me. Um, like when we played USC senior year in doubles. So, but he's like top five in the world in doubles. Grand like Slam champion. Grand Slam champion. There's uh, Druskovsky, uh, who I was able to beat in uh, doubles. Inglot, like I, I beat him and he beat me in, in doubles. But like I had the really good success in doubles. Like just looking back, like if I went back 10 years, I would have just been like, hey, like maybe I'll play some singles. But I think like doubles only is a good route for like a lot of these guys. And it wasn't like really a thought in my head at that point, like just doubles only. But you can debate the the what if, so like you said, you know, until the cows come home, and that's like, whatever. And I guess like by playing, you would have been able to answer those questions and like, competing against like, you know, professional tennis players and see where you matched up. Like you, I for sure agree that you could have been at least two hundred in the world in singles, if not maybe better. And then doubles is without a doubt in my mind that you could have been a hundred percent top hundred, if not maybe top fifty or better. Uh, I mean, three-time All-American, you know, your, your results and wins speak for themselves. But it is it is like going back to your mindset like 10 years ago. It's it's hard because as you mature and as you go, it's like, yeah, it is your dream from like 10 to 18 years old or whatever to play professional tennis. But then in college, you grow a lot. You get exposed to different things. And that people do want to chill because what you don't realize is like – or what people don't realize is it's like a full-time job like – a basketball career like LeBron's basketball career is 17 years as a professional player. But, you know, in high school, he got that great high school experience and stuff like that where he was going. And I mean, he went right out of the elite out of high school. Uh, but a lot of people like in basketball also get to go to college and stuff. Whereas tennis, you don't do that. So let's say you do have a 12 year career in tennis. You still have like 10 years before that of a junior career that almost mirrors um what a pro career would be you're just playing different tournaments but you're still yeah. training the same amount of time and stuff so it's all like you know how you feel also after at the end of the season mm -hmm. where you just like you've played so many matches where like the first month after season ends and you go home for school you almost don't even want to touch a racket yeah and that just like it's that feeling to uh, a larger level and also you understanding 
that, you know, if you're 200 in the world in singles, and even back then the prize money wasn't as good as it is in doubles nowadays. So it's, it's kind of hard to be like, do I want to be asking my dad, be 23 and asking my dad for money to go play a future? Or, you know, I can be playing poker and I have like a hundred grand right now. Like how I can very much understand and be sympathetic to like how that was like, you know, a decision you took. Yeah, definitely. Well, I had the money at the time because of like the poker and like my family, like my family, like yours, like they had the means to, to support it. But yeah, like just the, the cool thing with doubles, like if like people are listening is like that there's, you can still go to like four, you can, people go to like 40, like even mid forties now. Like, so there is like a career path there. For doubles for sure. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I don't live like my life with regrets. Like, I mean, I, I'm happy with where I'm at now, but I mean, there's also been like, my own like struggles like I mean the gambling world is like not like like what I described to you like with running up like my money there like it's also had like plenty of lows as well like it's um it's like tons of times you were just like get gut checked yeah I mean like, let's beyond, beyond belief like you're yeah I mean like I've definitely gotten way 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 better at dealing with stuff and like money management and like discipline like game selection like just like all these things have like come together for me like almost like way more recently than like, yeah, the first time, like out of college, like we're talking about, if you go back to then, like online poker went down, like a few years later, like the government basically shut down all those companies that were operating here, like haters, uh, <laughs> something like that. But uh, yeah, like the games got tougher, like, and also, like I said, like I got, I was able to make that money basically like um, pretty fast by being like almost reckless with my bankroll like but also comes with like the downfalls as well and being like this age like I'm way 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 more careful like there's never like any time where like my all my money's on the table like I always have like a lot saved in the back and I'm playing like within my means now because going broke at like 31 is way different than going broke at like 21 so yeah. as you get older as you get older like you want more stability Which, so yeah for our viewers yeah um, our listeners um, Steve Steve is 31 like he like he just mentioned but Let's let's talk about some of that stuff. Like let's talk about you know whatever some wins, some losses, but also like online poker's done now, and now you're playing like, you know, more professionally and stuff like that. Like what kind of uh, what kind of games you were playing? Because at dinner, you know, we were talking about like uh, you know professional poker, like the ATP Tour version of poker, which I know you've played some of those events and done really well in some. But then also like the private games and and also like you know uh, blackjack too. When did you start playing that? How's how's all that? Yeah, so. In poker, there's like kind of two. In poker, there's like one. Dis there's like a bunch of different disciplines in poker. So there's like no limit hold'em, just pot limit Omaha. There's like mixed games. There's a million different things. But like, I would say, um, like the main thing is like tournament players, and then there's cash game players. Like I mostly play cash games on like a daily basis, where each chip has value, so you buy in, and then you cash out at the end of your session, and whatever you made or lost, like, is what you you know cashing out or whatever. Um, but then tournaments, like there's World Series, like circuit events, World Poker Tour, stuff like that, where um, there's like, you know, maybe a thousand entries in the tournament and the top uh, 150 make uh, make money. And then each slot, like higher, makes a different amount of money. So I do play, um, I do play like some tournaments, but mostly cash. I got lucky um, in some of these, like some of these events, like I made a final table at the Bicycle Casino pretty recently. It was like a World Series circuit event. I got third place for like seventy nine thousand. It was like on a little stream or whatever. But um, those are just more to mix it up, like the daily grind. Like I'm not really claiming to be like a great tournament player or anything. But um, 
it's cool. It gives you a good chance at like some bigger money scores and the World Series circuit events. Like you can, I played Millionaire Maker. It was like a thousand dollar buy-in. They call it Millionaire Maker because like the first first place is like a million, but got like thirtieth place. I think like thirtieth fortieth place for like thirty five thousand. But just like you know, life changing money if you can make like final table and it still gets you excited. Like I don't know, sometimes it's hard to get up for like the daily cash game grind and. You gotta keep it keep it interesting. But I don't play much online anymore. Like the games are uh, kind of shitty compared to what they used to be. And there's kind of like a rise in online now that um, coronavirus came. Like all these little apps started popping up, and um, but the, the rake's pretty high in those. So like I kind of want to know what what it's like like a day in the life of like someone who does what you do because obviously like you work when you want you make your hours you go to the casino when you want to go to the casino like how how often are you playing and you know obviously does it depend on like how you're doing and and stuff like that too like if you made a bunch of money one week like you make 30 grand a night are you gonna like play more that week or yeah like the games kind of like it's hard to like describe i guess but they kind of run around like a few people like if if it's like nine pros sitting around in a game like it's not that game's not going to last for a long time but there's like always kind of different opportunities run around but like re, like lately like a lot of the games have moved to like private home games i don't know if you're seeing like molly's game the movie but that was like a, an example of like a really high stakes game but they have like smaller versions of those and they can be good sometimes but uh yeah, I mean, you're, you you have, like, freedom of, like, when you want to play. Like, I go on vacation whenever, but oftentimes, like, you're at the mercy of, like, when, like... When those games are formed and when, created. Yeah, and when, the, when, when the games are good. Like, if certain players are playing, like, and they're dumping off money, like, and they're having a good time. But, like, some of, the, like, some of these people, like, they're not good players, but it's just, like, fun money for them. If they're there and they're, they want to keep playing, like, you're probably going to stay. And, like, when the games are good and, like, when they're not good, you're going to leave. But, uh... Like lately, like Alex said, like I have done some like it's not all poker. Like I've done some advantage play, which I guess like the best known example of that would be like card counting. Like card counting is a version of advantage play, where like you're using your head to basically like find little edges that are out there. But there's a lot more like types of advantage plays out there um, that are not as well known. But like different softwares these days can analyze like any casino game and basically make you like can basically make not any casino game can be beatable but there's like some games that can be like simulated and there are opportunities out there and i have found some good ones recently and like they come and go so like i don't really talk about them that much but um those are out there too so like mixing up different things has like kept it interesting for me a common like misconception too that uh i just want to clear up for people is that like card counting um isn't isn't illegal um, the way that, that Steve's talking about it. It's just kind of like, it's strategizing. It's knowing what's in a deck. It's like, it's almost like being like, oh, okay, this dude has a big forehand. I'm not going to hit it there because of this. It's like playing the hand that's there and stuff like that. And you, and you, you know, keep account of that. Um, which a lot, I think a lot of people don't know that they hear the words card counting. And that's another thing with, uh, just, we talk about the stigma of gambling a lot. Yeah. So like, I would say like casinos don't like card counters the way bookies don't like sharp yeah. sports betters. Like there's probably not that many sharp sports betters, but like if you like I don't know like, I don't know if you bet sports, but if you beat your bookie every week for for the whole year, he's gonna eventually tell you no more action. So like 
Yeah. You're not doing anything wrong, like, illegally, but it's just, like, their way of protecting their profits. And, like, um, like I said, like, none of this stuff is, like, hokey, pokey, like, um, none, none of it's, like, random, like, everyone has, like, a method in gambling where they, like, they think they can win, but, like, these are, like, advantage plays, like, actual, like, simulated mathematically-based plays that are, like, they could, that could be proven, like, that over time you're going to eventually win. But that, that doesn't mean, like, you're going to win every session, like, the best card counter in the world would like is gonna lose like forty percent of their session still. So it's, but um, yeah. I mean, I have like gone to a few of those, but um, you just mix that up a little bit. Is there like a UTR version, uh, like a rating system for poker for poker players? Um, a little bit. There's like there's a site called like Hendon Mob that you can look up like um, people's tournament scores. So like if you're like if I want to play cash games, I play no tournaments. Like you're not gonna find me on UTR uh, on Hand and Mob, but um, I do play some tournaments. Like you would find me on there and have my scores. But I mean, you have to look at those sites, like kind of uh, like with the not like a critical eye or whatever. But like if it shows someone has like two million in earnings, like it doesn't show all the tournaments they miss. Like they might be playing full time for the last ten years and have two million in buy-ins. Kind of like kind of like someone's like ATP prize money. Like they might have half a million in like prize money, but Maybe with their career, like they spent four hundred thousand, so like they didn't really make that much. So just um, how much? How much do you kind of make? What's kind of an annual salary for a top a top poker player? Yeah, that's gonna vary. Like, I mean, obviously, I I, I wish I could give you like I wish I can give you like an answer for that. Um, It's not that I want to. It's like you have guys grinding out like fifty k. 40, 50K a year. And then you have guys that are making like millions. Like, shoot, like, I don't even, like, honestly, like. I mean, it depends what games you're playing, right? It if depends, yeah. Table games, it's like. Uh, like you, you can make different. like a few hundred an hour at like a 510, like PLO. Like, if you're, if you're like a, if, if like, if it's a deep enough game, like buying, like, for example, like the PLO that I play in general is like 500 to 5,000 buy in, which is like, if you buy a 5,000, you're playing pretty deep at like a 510, but. Um, like in those games, if you're a good player, like you can make a few hundred an hour, like playing those games. Like that's, I say, like that's like a daily, a daily game. Like, and then you can go play higher stakes. Like, say you see like a fish or a whale, which is like a name for like a not good player. Maybe like some guy who has like a hedge fund that wants to go to Vegas and play twenty five fifty or whatever. Like, and he plays a few times a year. Like that's a guy. Maybe it's a guy you want to go play against. Like, so you go play twenty five fifty. But like the biggest games, like. Yeah, I mean, we play like five, five ten, like daily. Sometimes it gets bigger, like five ten twenty, like with the straddle, which is like. Um, what's your What's the biggest you've like buying you've you've ever played in? Um, I, I played. I used to play like a private game where it was like ten k minimum buy in, and like if you bought like if you bought in like ten thousand, you're you're a short stack basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, everyone's buying in like bigger. But like when I play bigger stakes, like I generally sell off like some action. Like that's just part of like risk management for. Yeah. Like, that's kind of smart. Yeah. Responsibility. Because, like, responsibility. So like you would want to play one of those games maybe like that's 10K minimum buy-in because the players are, are bad. But like say you lose like four or five buy-ins there, which is like completely possible. You lose like 40 or 50 grand. Like how long is it going to take you to make back at, at like your daily 510 game? Like 
So, I mean, obviously you could win that as well, but like, it just, you want to lower like the, the short-term variance and like your risk of ruin. Like when, once you built up a good like nest egg, you want to really like protect it. Cause once you're, if you have no money, you can't play like, and even if you have an edge, like what's, what good is that if you have no money? What would you say is like, um, not like a huge win day, but just like an average win day where you're content, like what number or something, if you, if you care to share what that's like sort of around versus, and, and for blackjack and for poker, you know what I mean? So, cause poker, I'm sure and blackjack are different cause poker, I feel like at this point now you're playing more private games and like, um, you know, like tournaments, if yeah. you will. Right. I mean, you can, yeah. Like at five ten, like 4,000, 5,000 is like. It wouldn't be like a bigger, small, like loss, like three, four, yeah. five thousand, like is gonna be like Yeah, like a routine second round win where you're just like yeah, you're happy, like, but yeah. you're not like fucking like celebrating like you beat like the one seed. Yeah, like three K, like you went if I went and played like five ten people tomorrow, I won like three, four, five thousand, like like I'm ha- like I guess I'm not like too happy or sad either way anymore because you gotta learn to like You gotta stop. accept the losses. Yeah, but like yeah, a certain number, like a certain like a certain big loss is still gonna sting me, like and like a certain big win will still make me happy. But like yeah, like winning like over ten thousand and like ten thousand in that game is like is a big game, but it's like it was a big day, but it's like completely doable. Like it, people I've seen people leave like five ten PLO with like five ten twenty or whatever with like twenty thousand plus, like where they started with like four or five thousand. But it just depends like who you get those days and like um, I mean, you definitely like when you go there, you just try and play like your best and let the money fall where it may. Like, when if I ever like try and go to a game and like try and shoot the moon, like win all the money, like I'm not going to be playing well. And I've always fallen my ass when I've like tried to focus on the money part. That's the thing. I think at this point, when you play professionally, you're playing for another reason. Obviously, everybody in every single industry, like you want to make money. Um, that's how you survive and stuff. Um, and it's a sign that you're doing something right. But in general, like when you're playing these big amounts and sometimes you're winning a lot, sometimes you're losing, like the aspect of the money to it, like you get desensitized. If you've been playing a bunch of five grand games, like, yeah. um, you know, it's like being at four all. If you constantly are at four all in the third, you're, you're not really that nervous anymore when you are in that position. So you get desensitized. So you kind of, I think you just play for, for other reasons because you honestly, you like to play. Yeah, well, you have to be desensitized to the money to play because like, it's basically like business capital. Like you're like, if I freak out betting like a river or like if I freak out when I lose, like if I look at it like real money, like I just look at it as business capital. Like, mm-hmm. so you have to be like desensitized, but like as long as you're playing, like this is like what I've like grown with a lot, like playing within your bankroll, like and in the right games, like I'm okay with losing because it's going to happen. But like I get pissed at myself when I play, like when I play at something, like and I, you always try and limit these, like where you play a game, like you don't have a good edge. Like if I play like, for example, like, I told you you take a shot at a higher game with a fish in there, like or like or, or a few fish, like and it's a good reason, right? But like, yeah, of if I play that higher game and it wasn't a good game to begin with, and I lose, and like I maybe had like a small edge or no edge at all, like then that's something you should be pissed about because it's like you just did it for ego and like like you put yourself in the good spot and you lose, like it's okay in my opinion, but like I mean in these other games like. I was talking about like advantage play and stuff. Like you can simulate all of them. Like it just it'll tell you like how long it takes to like reach reach like your like advantage play. Like basically like, you want to get to like the long run because like just like flipping a coin. Like you flip a coin ten times, it can come ten ten tails. But like over like the long run, it's going to be true to the odds. So like mm-hmm. you can go in there. Like one site, like for example, like as a resource is like blackjack apprenticeship or whatever. 
Com, like and you can go there like they like if you were interested in something like that like it has like all these tutorials on like how to how to basically like track the cards in your head etc like what deviations you need but then also it'll like show you like there's like a bankroll calculator so it, like you go in you put your bankroll and it'll tell you like what the bet what the bet at each stage of like what's called like the count so like at like a one two three count like you should be betting differently different amounts because like the higher the count, the more your edge. So you should be betting more, but like it'll tell you your risk of ruin. Like, so you just find out what you're comfortable with, and like every business is gonna have a risk of ruin. Like if you open, like a McDonald's, well McDonald's is probably gonna succeed because they're, they're <laughs> but like you open a small business tomorrow, like there's gonna be some risk of ruin. So you have to be comfortable with that. Kind of makes you feel alive though. That's with everything. Yeah, definitely. But like I said, like I've gotten more boring lately. I don't even mm -hmm. care about like feeling alive when I gamble. Like I just want to like. Well, make money and, and like invest it in other more stable stuff now forget even being like i don't know the sense of feeling alive i think it's just more so just like uh the act of not knowing like and you can be comfortable with that like not yeah. knowing the result and that's what i reference to like being alive is just like um a lot of people want to know what that outcome is but if you already know what's going to happen that kind of takes the fun out of it yeah definitely and like um i think it's the same with like every like entrepreneur in a little bit like is is like that's like if you want stability like go, go to a nine to five you get paid every single day like you will win every single day and like and that's cool like it's, it's different like and as you get older like some people want that stability and like i am moving more toward that but i do like what you said like with like that like you don't really know what you experience every day like when i go in like sometimes i'll just leave like the game will be bad or yeah. like really good like i don't know exactly what i'm gonna find like but each day like it kind of keeps it fresh and Mm -hmm. me and clark me and clark we talk about this a lot about like the stigma of gambling hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In tennis and stuff like that. And um, we kind of reference it a little bit to golf because in, in tennis, there's a negative stigma behind it because of maybe all the, you know, betting, illegal betting that was going on. But like in golf, it's something that's like extremely like accepted and it's a part of the culture. And so I see parallels between golf and poker in this sense where it's like, in golf, you don't need to be on the PGA to like make a living off of it. Even if you're a coach, like a tennis coach can charge like 80 an hour, a golf coach can charge 250 an hour. But then you see things like this, like you don't need to be on the PGA, you can play in big money games. Like my mom was living in Del Mar Country Club where every single Friday they had like the Wolfpack game and they were, I mean, some guys would lose like 60 grand in a day. They're betting like, yeah, you know, that. a few thousand every, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're betting a few thousand like every single, uh, every single hole and then you got some guys that just want to be out there playing with good players that are just super rich and can lose it and you have you know some professional athletes like james blake is plays in that game uh canelo plays in that game sometimes um, the poker game there? no i'm talking about the i'm talking about the golf yeah he plays poker too though james yeah he loves poker yeah. i've heard but so they they do that and so there's different it's just very very accepted part of the culture and there's different ways to make money even if you're like a fucking like long driver type dude you can go across to like as you would to different casinos, you could go to different like ranges and like get in those competitions. But I want you to talk a little bit about 
the difference between because you've done both tournament play and that like tournament type player like on tour versus like the other side of professional gambling where you know you're playing just going to casinos or playing private games and stuff like that yeah so definitely like gambling like has a stigma to it and like i think i think it's like semi-deserved and like semi not deserved like just how you handle it like a lot of people there's like definitely a lot of uh, like opportunists out there um in the gambling world but it's also like some really good people that i met like some of the most like honest and trustworthy people that i've done like transactions with whether it's like spotting them or um just like even staking some people in tournaments but uh yeah, for me, like, it was a little bit of a stigma because, like, my family, like, and as a doctor, my aunt's a lawyer, my other aunt's, like, a dentist, like, my sister has an MBA, like, and they're like, what the hell, like, you want to go play poker? Like, and it was um, kind of just, like, off the off the path a little bit, but um, like, they've grown to, like, accept it with me. Like, it's not their, like, probably, like, their favorite thing that I do, but... Like, they've accepted it now that, like, I've shown I'm able to, like, do well with it, like, do it responsibly, and they just want me to do, like, what I want to do. And, but, yeah, people, like, I guess don't understand, like, the gambling world that much. And, like, they just see, like, the money being, like, thrown around or whatever. And the lifestyle, like, can be kind of different, like, But, like, you playing, like, tournaments versus playing the private money games. Like, because you've played, you won, like, that tournament last year, and you can reveal the amount you won, but he got second place in this pretty big poker tournament and, like, he made a lot of money and stuff like that. So it's something yeah. that he's has the ability to do, but he so, yeah, plays di- more private games. Yeah, the different lifestyle, like I mean, tournaments are gonna be like higher variance. Like you're gonna um like no matter how good you are, you're gonna bust out of the tournament like before the money most of the time. Like so it's it's long streaks of like drought with like short um like big bigger victories, you know, like and I don't know, like it's just it's just like a style like those, those tournaments take days like literally these tournaments take like four or five days sometimes and then sometimes like you bust out on day three like you make nothing so it's just like fits a certain personality i mean you can travel the circuit some people do i'm lucky i live in like southern california there's a lot of like there's commerce there's bike like they have like some big series come through here and in vegas i'll play like some world series events or like some of the venetian but um yeah some of these people like they just follow the circuit like the world poker tour or whatever and it seems like a fun lifestyle like for some but uh i live like one of the best places in the world in my opinion san diego and like you know i have like my family here and like i just enjoy like kind of staying local for the most part but i mean you can get some cool trips out of it like i went to florida a few times played like seminole hard rock it's like a beautiful super beautiful hotel like have you ever, have you ever seen uh, seminole hard rock or no uh not at not at Florida. I've been to the Hard Rock in San Diego for like New Year's Eve a bunch yeah. of times. Party you should check it out sometime. Like really good restaurants, like nightclubs. The women there are beautiful and uh, you like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, if you like file as a professional gambler, like it's a write off as well. Like so, it's a good opportunity to travel to fun places. But I have no desire to go to like uh, like random stops in like Oklahoma and stuff. Yeah, that was no, that no was, offense, Oklahoma. <laughs> I, Oklahoma sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mind if Oklahoma takes an offense to it. I played the future there in like Tulsa and then like I've never seen so many fat people in my life. That's just the truth. But what a, I mean, what are some of your favorite casinos to play at? Uh, I love the Aria in Las Vegas. They have a really uh, well-run poker room. I, I like playing PLO, which is like basically Texas Hold'em, but instead of two cards, you get four cards. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more action and a lot more possibilities and 
I guess, creativity. But, uh, yeah, they spread a lot of PLO. Um, it's my favorite place to play in Vegas. I guess Bellagio is nice, but the games seem a little bit tougher there. And then um, I try and go, like, a few times a year to the Seminole Hard Rock. They have really good tournaments. It's kind of like a lot of, um, like, retirees there. Mm-hmm. They like, like to play, like, recreationally, so the fields are, like, kind of soft. And then the tournament's, like, a 3,500 buy-in, so it's not, like, like those 10K, the 10K buy-ins, like, hurt when you lose. But, like, the 3,500, like, if I lose, like, I'll go to the beach the next day or play, like, cash games. Like, it's not going to, like, really hurt, like, a 10K, I guess. But uh, what's, the, what's the longest amount of time you've played for, like, stayed in the casino for? <laughs> Way too long. But <laughs> How many hours? How many hours? You're... Probably like twenty four hours, but that's no, hard. Not, not twenty four. That's just gotta be an exaggeration. But definitely, definitely, like I've done like six to like eight the next morning, like more times than I should have. But not any time like recently. But I've done like super long online sessions. But those were all like when I was like early twenties, and like I definitely hate doing that. When you're playing. Um, um, I won't do that anymore. Like I just feel like shit the next day. Like even if you win a lot of money, you still feel like horrible. And I mean, there's always like there's always a price to pay for sure. Yeah, it just hurts way more now. And like you wake up, like if you play all night and you like play till eight in the morning, like you, you're not gonna have any edge. Like it doesn't matter like how good you are. Like after like a certain amount of time, like you're gonna be playing freaking horrible. Yeah. And like then you're gonna feel horrible the next day. You're gonna sleep during the day. It messes your schedule up. Like it's just. Just like with anything, though, like, you know, I mean, when you're tired, you just make, like, dumb decisions and poor decisions. Yeah. But do you do you drink? Like, when you're playing seriously, like, of course, like, you got a whale or something like that, or you're playing with friends in a money game, whatever you're comfortable, you might have a couple drinks. But do you, like, when you're playing seriously, do you drink? And also, like, when you play those extended times, uh, amount, like, lengths of time, not even just, like, drinking, like, alcohol, do you, like, are you, like, drinking coffee to be able to do that? Like, energy drinks? Like, yeah, like... Probably too much caffeine, I guess, but, um, yeah, I see, like, most of the time I'm at the car rooms, like, I'm, like, or, like, a casino, I'm just, like, playing soberly, but the home games are supposed to be, like, a more, um, like, a more fun atmosphere, like, more social atmosphere, and, like... Which is a, it's just a different yeah, environment. Yeah, it's, it's a different environment completely, so, like, yeah, I'll definitely have some beers. I'm not trying to get, like, wasted and... Well, yeah, a couple beers. Toss money away. I've definitely seen how poorly people play when they're, uh... Um, like drunk or on drugs or whatever. Steve is also like six foot four, and like, how much do you weigh, or how much did you weigh when you were playing? Two forty right now. <laughs> two forty. The guys, the guys, a fucking beast. So two beers for him is like three waters for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll definitely take like some shots if the environment. Like, you want to get invited back to some of these games. Like, if if you're just like a square and you're you're playing tight and like and you're not like socializing, like you're not an asset to the like the like a private game, for example, but. Like if um, yeah, for the most part, like I'm, I'm trying to be like healthier and like the older I get and like I don't know, like it doesn't do you like service to get messed up. And, no, I mean I just meant honestly, not even really alcohol. Just like when you are playing those lengths of time, like yeah, you gotta you yeah, gotta like drink Bull, like, like some fucking Red Bull or something uh, to like stay Celsius, up. Like Celsius kind of keep you up sometimes, but or yeah, at least honestly, like trying to even get away from like that, like just. Um, the casino is always going to be there. The games, there's always going to be a good game. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, sometimes the games like ebb and flow, but like, I'm not going to not be able to pay rent or not be able to not eat tomorrow if I don't play. So like, yeah, I'm trying to make my sh- my session shorter and like. How many nights a week are you playing? Does it just vary? It, it just it just varies. Like, 
right now with like corona going on like the so the card rooms and stuff are open outside like mm-hmm. it's like weird it's like a open air like tent i guess so but like a lot of like the restaurants and like the bars are like closed and like a lot of other stuff is closed so like i'm kind of just playing more almost like might as well put my time in now like when it's like winter and like i'd rather like when stuff opens in summer like take some time off or like do like a, a fun trip but um yeah, so I'm playing a decent amount right now. But as uh, as we wrap this up, um, I'm kind of amazed by you know the insight that you got that you've given us and just learning um, because you know gambling is uh, is just becoming more prevalent uh, into society and nowadays. What's your kind of advice to? a kid that looks at gambling as a way of making more money, you know, a college kid who might be a student athlete, you know, like betting on sports or kind of partaking in poker games. What's your advice to them where they see like, you know, their, their ego maybe might be a little bit boosted, like, Oh, dude, I can, you know, make some money there. What, what do you say to that kid who's a 20, 21, 22 year old kid who might be getting involved in the stock market too much or, um, you know, gambling with poker or in sports. I say don't do it, but no. Uh, I mean, I say, like, just know what you're getting into, basically. Like, I don't know. Like like I said, like, I definitely took my spills, like, on the way up. Um, and it's taken a long time, but, like, just just know, like, most people, like, aren't going to make it. And, like, even if you do make it, it's, like, a rough, it's like a rough road. Like, I think the best thing to do is to, like, if you want to do this kind of stuff, like, try like try to get good like and have an edge like don't just go like gamble unless you're just doing it for entertainment which is like completely fine as long as you have a budget but uh like don't try to make it like your primary income like right now like it is my primary income because like i like i think it's the best use of my time like per hour right now and i'm I'm kind of trying to like make enough money to like be able to go into like other businesses where it's not my primary income like that's the goal of like almost every professional gambler is like Hey, make make this money and then like get other stable incomes going like through investments or other businesses, but like, yeah, like finish your college. Like, don't don't go like thinking you're gonna make it in this because like most people aren't. And if you want to do like some advantage player like poker on the side, like and get good or like do some sports betting, like either know what you're doing for entertainment and like do a little bit of it or like do it on the side while you build up. And like, yeah, if you can make a substantial amount, then like look at your options and. Um, if you get, obviously if you get good enough, like people do make it, but like, um, a lot of people get cold though. Yeah. Everyone even gets cold at some point. Gets, yeah. Get cold. So like, don't think you're just going to win. Like don't win like 10, 10 sports bet in a row and like think like, Hey, I come a pro now. Like if you can make money over a substantial period, like big sample, which is more than people think then like maybe, but like, I still think like always having some other incomes like going is nice. And like, I'm kind of personally working on that myself. Like. We'll see what comes out of coronavirus and like maybe some opportunities will rise in business like people selling their businesses or maybe real estate will dip like i'm kind of just like looking how to apply my bankroll and but um i think that's what's think, cool about gambling though oh go go clark do you please. think do you think like with covid it's gonna change i mean i've kind of been in a casino twice now uh during covid but do you think it's gonna change your your poker setup and going to casinos and maybe there's more like private games and 
online shit compared to the in, in-person, face-to-face stuff when you don't know who you're playing? You think that's going to change at all? Yeah, so there's been like a huge surge in like private games, like where people, like people get professional dealers, like because a lot of these dealers are out of work right now. So you get like professional staff that will just come, like, and you or, you just invite like, like, fu- like quote unquote like fun players who are going to give action and stuff. But there's like there's a game every night I could play if I wanted to, and that's it has professional dealers. But technically, they're underground. They're not illegal to play. Like they're technically like illegal to run. But like I won't get in trouble for playing them. But um. I mean, you could play a different one every single night. Like in LA, there's a ton. Like, uh, but yeah, these apps, these apps like Poker Bros, like Poker Two, like there's um, what else? Kings Club, like I don't know. Like there's a million apps. Like, if you yeah, want to like, play, there's there's plenty to play. There's plenty to play. Like, you can, there's like every every card room or casino has like someone who's an agent for the apps. Like you go, and then it's, it's like a bookie. Like every Monday, like they settle you or you settle with them, and like you just play on these apps, but I mean, I'm not really a fan of like the online. Like the private games can be good. Like just the rake, the rake on both of them is high. Like the rake is like the rake is like the money is taken out of the pot. Like which is how casinos, card rooms, online poker all make money. And like sometimes it gets like to where it cuts in your win rate too much, so you have to like decide if it's worth playing or not. So but, um, yeah, just like in this game, like just like business, you have to adapt. Like so, you're just gonna adapt. I, I don't like playing the apps. I'll play like the home games if they're good and like I feel safe and the rake is all right. And then, I mean, the casinos are like still operating, but some of these older, older fish like aren't, I haven't really seen them because I'm sure coronavirus like is more of a concern to them. So I'll just have to like navigate other opportunities. But I, uh, that's what I think is cool about poker though. And I think I like careers that are, enable you to you know it can be your primary focus and stuff like that but it doesn't prevent you from doing something else so that's that's definitely something that's very cool about that job i want to kind of go to like the mindset you know a little bit more dig deep into that of the mindset of the poker player like for you personally like i'm sure you've had nights where you've had some big comebacks and it'd be cool to hear about those but also like you know when to stay for a comeback and when to when to know to leave the table yeah i mean ideally you want to look at like if you're like gambling or doing like poker or sports or whatever, like as a profession, like you want to look at like the, you want to look at like the session as like one long, one big game. So like, I mean, people that try and win every day, like they're just fooling themselves. Like no one's going to win every day. Obviously you can like, you can tilt when you lose a lot and stuff like, which is like, you know, you go home like, you're like, shit, I just got destroyed. I come in a hand today. And those, those things happen. But um, yeah, just trying to like, just like look at the bigger picture and then like playing playing stakes that like you're bankrolled for is like the biggest thing like i'm not gonna like just for lifestyle like i I could play bigger games than i do now but like um i just don't because like i don't really feel the need to as much like i used to always feel the need to play as high as possible like which was like my downfall for like a while and then now i'm like cool just like cruising at the game i am and like no no day is gonna like change my life like on the poker felt like it's, at this point, which is, which is like nice. And like, it's been a process though to get there. Well, it's two things there though. Like you kind of look at it like this way, like at first you had that tennis mentality, that athlete yeah. mentality where you are super obsessed with poker. You're trying to get better. You think you're good and you want to stack yourself up against the best and play those games. Yeah. And that's what drives you. But then as you mature and stuff like that, and you get that out of your system, now you look at it more as like a business where, you know, you're going to take advantage of places where you can make more money, which is, which is smart, honestly. 
And um, I'm kind of just, I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I just have a theory here. Um, but I would almost argue that the good poker player, like the professional poker player, the thing that separates a professional gambler from a bad gambler is someone that knows when to leave the table or when to stop because people that are bad gamblers, you know, they lose and they're like, all right, I'm going to win it on the next one or I'm going to do this last dish parlay or, you know, they don't know when to stop because they're kind of addicted. But like professional poker players, like what you just said, you see it as just one big long game. So you're not really viewing it like that. So in, a, in theory, I feel like you could kind of have that ability to know when, you know, to chill. Yeah, it's, it's about like where, but like where and where you have your edge and where you don't. Like in sports, you'd be like someone who's like really good at NFL, and then maybe like now they think they can move to like basketball or baseball, and like they're or maybe poker or whatever, and like they don't have any edge there. Like I've seen a million people like kill it in poker and then like dump their edge or dump everything in like the pits or like or sports or whatever. But yeah, like I mean, I'm not really like trying to even like improve that much in my poker. Like I'm trying to play games that I can beat and like actually like eventually transition out and like into some other like business stuff and I built like good enough bankroll to like where like I have like money to go into other opportunities and like I've also kind of moved into some advantage play like which I think like those opportunities are out there and like I'm just gonna keep keep playing the games I can beat and like eventually the games will get tougher and maybe I won't be able to win anymore and like that's that's fine for me like I'm just happy to take like the opportunities I have now and I'll try and get like a little bit better but I'm not trying to be the best in the world at all. Like, it's, you do your thing. It's fine, yeah. I, mean. I have an interesting question, just from what you've been saying this whole time. Like, would you say is poker similar to tennis in the sense where it's about matchups too? Is there certain players that like their game style is something that hurts you and you know stuff like that? Like, is there is there a matchup type thing um, yeah. to it? Yeah, definitely. Like, I play like more aggressive than. Like most players, so like for me, like I like maybe like a short, like a more short-handed game. Like if it's like four or five players, like toward like the end of the night, like when people start to leave, like I kind of excel in those like environments more than like the early like um, when people start the game. Like generally, it's like a little bit tighter, like nine-handed. Like I don't know, I just don't like that environment. Like and then the same thing is uh. Like some people really thrive online and some people really thrive live and like I think that like I'm much better at playing live than I am online. So I've pretty much cut out like all online play. But yeah, you have to find out where your strengths are and like over time you learn that and, What's the know. what's the ratio? How much blackjack are you playing to poker? Um it's not mm -hmm. like even all like blackjack, it's other other oh, stuff. Really? Uh, I say like maybe like sixty percent, like seventy percent poker, but the other stuff is like 30, 30%. What's the closest casino to your house? Um, a little card room, like called Seven Mile. Um, oh, that's and, yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, so card rooms like are a little bit different than casinos. A card room, um, like so they can't have casinos like in California unless they're on Indian land. And so card rooms are uh, everything but like slots basically. But there are some like other like subtle little differences, but um, yeah, they have like really good poker action. It's like majority poker, and so you kind of like. Pop. I mean, do you think as like living in California, that's the best setup to be like a professional poker player? Is there anywhere else, anywhere else you'd rather like anywhere else that's more beneficial to you know in your lifestyle? 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's better places. I mean, it just depends, like, on what you want. But Vegas, like, I guess. Las Vegas, Vegas and Flo- Las Vegas and Florida, like, I mean, Vegas is going to have more games. And, like, um, but just, like, I have no real desire to, to live there. Like, I think there's a lot of downfall to living. Like, there's a lot of temptation there. And Vegas, like, eats a lot of people with uh, all of that temptation. And um, it's cheaper cost of living. So if you're playing the same game and making the same money, and there's no state tax, like there is benefit there. And then Florida also like has a pretty good poker scene. Like those are two, and then Texas actually is getting uh, card rooms. They're kind of a new thing there, but uh, I heard the games have been good over there. So, I mean, we'll see the cost of living. Like if it gets too crazy over here, like I wouldn't be opposed. Like those are kind of like nice states that I wouldn't mind living, but like I'm pretty happy with the games right now. Yeah, around here. And, I mean, I'm pretty close to LA. Like, if I ever want to play bigger, like I can just venture up there. And... Has there been? I mean, with with COVID, has there been um, more activity from like uh, these hedge funders and these wealthy business people? Have you seen a surge in them wanting to participate in more poker games, or has that kind of uh, died out with those groups of people? No, I've seen uh, like some of these home games I went to. Like I've never seen like some of these people before, which is kind of weird because I've been. In, it's kind of like it's kind of like tennis community. Like I know most people in like San Diego tennis. Well, I did like when I was playing full time. I, I don't really play much anymore, but um, I know like most of the people in San Diego poker community. So when I didn't see some of these people, like I think they're kind of bored with like not much other stuff to do right now. And they have money and they're maybe retired, so they're playing. But yeah, I've, I've definitely seen like some new people, and then I haven't seen some people that um, were like a little older that were kind of regulars. And I think like yeah, so there, there's been some new, and then some regulars that have disappeared a little bit. But like I know they'll all be back. Like when this gets figured out, who knows when that'll be? But. How about how about parallels between that you see? You know, just briefly. Uh, between like tennis players and, and poker players or even just the game in general and stuff? I think it's like a big parallel like just like the compet like it f- uh, fuels your competitive fire like a ton like um, I know I definitely missed that like when when I graduated and like stopped playing like but this let's always have this like right here um, but like, yeah James Blake plays like I know like Kafelnikov I think was playing like Boris Becker like a lot of tennis players go that way and then like, I know it's like some of these, especially over coronavirus, like a lot of these uh, poker players have been like taking up um, tennis, like, because tennis kind of had a little spike with um, with COVID, like it was the only thing open outdoors. And like some of these guys that like, like poker, poker and tennis, like we're kind of fanatical, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're kind of like crazy in our own little ways. So like we want to learn and they kind of feed hand to hand. But uh, there were some interesting bets. Like one of the poker guys um, played this other poker guy who's like, um, this other poker has like a 4-0 and you play with a frying pan against this like <laughs> beginner and uh, I don't show like the stakes but um, he wants the guy at the frying pan won 6-0 which is uh, probably slightly embarrassing for the other guy but uh, I think that same guy who played at the frying pan is playing um, James Blake James Blake's gonna play lefty they're playing for like 10,000 oh jeez uh, how much tennis yeah, do you play I would say he's about a 4 he's about a 4-0 so oh, with, with him with you saying that also like uh, how much tennis do you play uh, I mean, Steve teaches and stuff, but, like, I just want to say this, like, when he's talking about, like, his pro stuff, like, that, like, 
once he did like stop, you know, whatever playing tennis and stuff, he would he would hit occasionally. You know, he'd like hit with like maybe some good juniors like myself, like Brandon Nakashima, um, Taylor Fritz, like stuff like that. When we were like growing up, um, and wow, I feel funny putting my name in that sentence, but back when he was hitting with all of us, that that would make sense. But, dude, he wouldn't really be playing tennis, and then all of a sudden there'd be a men's open that would have, like, a bunch of money, and this motherfucker would, like, roll out, dude, like, with barely playing any tennis at all and just, like, win it. You beat Dean Jackson in the finals. I remember La Jolla just fucking crushed him, dude, and you were literally, like, not even playing tennis anymore. Yeah. So you still got it. Hey, well, I think it's yeah. di- I think when you're playing for money, it's a little bit different. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, no, I wish, I wish I could play, like, more right now, like, my, uh, I know what's wrong with my wrist. Let's like, play I, a doubles men's open. I know. I got fixed like, some cash. 10 to 9 is bullshit on my wrist. Like, I don't know. Like, it hurts when I'm, uh, like, rolling on my forehand. I'll play forehand. You just got to serve, Steve. I know. But my, forehand, <laughs> my forehand's all I got, basically. But, uh, yeah, I do want to get back out there and, um, and play. Just It's a good, like, um, it's a good thing with, like, poker, too, because you spend, like, way too much time indoors. Like, and tennis gets you outside. Like, gets you good exercise. And I always feel like it clears my head up and all that stuff, so I do want to keep playing, but uh, yeah, I gotta fix this like a wrist thing. I don't know what the hell's wrong with it. And the last bunch of times I went out, like it just. All right, so Steve, we're gonna wrap this up, and uh, how we've been wrapping it up with our guest now is we got some rapid fire questions. So I'm gonna ask you a question, you fire it, and it's about 10 questions. So you, you ready to go? I'm ready, let's do it. All right, favorite tennis player ever? Maybe Gustavo Quirton or uh, Murat Safin? Love Safin. Favorite athlete? Favorite athlete? Uh, Michael Jordan. Favorite team? Lakers. Favorite. Here. Yeah. Uh, favorite. It's my dad's team too. Man, that was that was a great uh, great ending. And uh, hey, Alex, basketball starts in a month. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. It's. I'm excited. <laughs> I am too. Uh, favorite beverage? Uh, Jack and Coke. That's a pretty good. Maybe Jack and Diet right now since I'm a. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite meal. Uh, I love uh, like Japanese food. That uh, there's a good place at Seminole Hard Rock that I was talking about. This place Kuro and like they're. uh, I love sushi. Have you been to Ken's Sushi Workshop? Yeah, it's bomb. He's he's an animal. It's like everything on the menu at Kuro. It's amazing. I'm uh, I'm coming to California in a month, so I'm kind of I mean you guys look like the food sound not look like sound like the food connoisseur. So uh, yeah, all this talk is you. exciting me. Uh, favorite favorite movie? Uh, War Dogs. The Gunrunner. <laughs> that Jonah Hill's laughing that. Yeah. Ah, so funny. Top five athletes in your book, poker players included. Uh, I guess Michael will be up there. Top five athletes. Uh, I guess you gotta put LeBron up there. What LeBron? Um, what, I don't know. I haven't thought about this one. Herschel Walker. I like the guy's a beast. And the guy's doing everything. Who else? Uh, Deion Sanders. That's a good one. Joel Romero. MJ. Huh? MJ. You said that. Yeah. That's five right there. We got Braun. We got Herschel. We got Joel Romero. MJ. You guys a beast. Joel Romero. Who's the last one? Who is Romero? Uh, I never heard of, I've never heard of Romero. No, he's a UFC fighter, but he's like, um, he's like forty. He, he was a gold medal wrestler, like for Cuba. He's a beast. And he's like forty-two, and um, he's like doing backflips off the cage. And be like, like still, fighting t- uh, yeah. Terrell Owens. 
So are you yeah, big into still, Uf- are you big into UFC? Yeah, that's my like favorite sport to watch now. Do you bet on it? Yeah, do you bet Rarely. on it? Um, no, I try not to bet on sports because I have no edge and it's just like a leak for me. But yeah, if, if like there's like a few fights that I'll like. Well, just for around. the yeah, yeah, mess around with factor. Dude, for for like me, it's just like a slippery slope to bet too much like on random shit. But yeah, I'll, I'll bet like random. Uh, I'll bet a few a year like that. I think. Like it's I, like fun. Yeah. I think one sport that's really come out of this strong, especially with like during COVID, is UFC. They've thrived. Dana White did a great yeah, job. Did a very yeah, good job. he did. Yeah, Fight Island and stuff. But uh, yeah, I've uh, I bet against McGregor a few times, and I regret those. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like when you bet when he fights, like all of the casuals in all of Ireland like bets on him, so the lines always get like super lopsided. I, I feel like. Like in his favor, like he's always way more like favored than he should be, but then he always wins. So I guess not against Khabib, but but he's had some big, against him. He's had some big losses too lately, you know, with Khabib or anything like that. But I love just really yeah. Khabib, bro. He cool. just like lost to Mayweather. Like it's just his inactivity that's like I feel like. But he lost to Diaz. I don't too. know. He won though after. Yeah, lost. They gotta make that. Yeah. They gotta make that uh, the trilogy fight. So, um, if you weren't gambling professionally, what would you do? Uh, I guess trying to figure that out. Like, there, this isn't like the end all be all for me. Like, so I am looking to do some other stuff. But um, we'll answer that question when you uh, when you come back on the pod. Then. Yeah, I mean, I looked into like doing like, I'm like real estate or like house flips or like other like investments to like real estate wise to grow money. But it's kind of like a seems like a volatile time right now with Corona and like the market. So. I mean, that's kind of like a way of like gambling in itself, I guess, like flipping houses. But uh, maybe it's like poker, like I'm asking for the first few flips and then learn, but probably more expensive like that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve, for uh, for coming on. Uh, you are the perfect guest. It was super fun to have you. Uh, we appreciate it. We hope that you uh, we hope that you're back. Um, we hope that you're back some point soon and we can talk, uh, you know, we can talk hoops and talk a little bit about some other topics too now that uh you know the audience knows you and and what you're about and what you do um and for me just yeah uh thanks to our listeners thanks to uh crack rackets and and of course our sponsor uh DraftKings. Yeah. yeah thanks so much for having me i uh, love what you guys are doing with uh like this podcast and it's cool to watch two young guys get after it so hope you, kill, hope you guys kill it well thanks uh, we appreciate it thanks steve and i think you really were the perfect guest to uh you know talk about gambling sports and everything in between kind of finding a fine line and giving advice to you know younger kids you got to watch out and be responsible i know it's you know easier said than being done but uh you know gambling is becoming more prevalent um you know in years to come and it looks like more states are beginning beginning to legalize gambling so uh you know kids gotta watch out but it's also uh you know very fun to get you know some juice and, and some games and poker so uh thank you see ya